0: If you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 12. Gospel of John chapter 12. Welcome to week 30 of our series that has us walking through the Gospel of John. And I want to begin this way this morning. How many of you have ever at one time in your life enjoyed watching a parade? At least one time in your life. So, you guys are lying. I, you, there's probably like a Legoland parade you guys were... But anyway, how many of you have ever been in a parade? You know, I'm not one to brag, but I was the seventh grade lord at Victory Christian Academy. And uh, that meant I got to be in a parade. I think there was like 15 people in it. But um, I was in the sitting on the back of a... Wesley, me and Wesley were there. Um, he was not the lady. He was a different grade. Uh, but... I was on the back of a convertible, you know, waving at people. I had a white shirt on with a V on my cheek, and I still remember it. It was a great moment in my life um, that I will never forget. But parades can be exciting. Parades can also be revealing. And I say that um, to say this. I remember many, many years ago. So Morgan's now 21. When she was around four years old, we took her to Disney, and We waited all day, and we were waiting for the the night Christmas parade, and uh, it was, waited for and it was fantastic, and I had her on my shoulders, music was playing, they were walking down the street, they were singing, doing all of their things, I was probably singing along with them, and of course, the princesses started coming. And I saw them, and I felt the need to call out every princess, even though she had a better, Morgan had a better vantage point than I did. I felt the need to call out every princess um, to her so she would know who was coming. So here comes Snow White, here comes Cinderella, here comes Aurora, here comes Jasmine and Ariel and Belle, and I'm doing this. And when I said the last name, I looked at Misty and I said, with horror on my face, what have I become? Like, what have I become? This was not my plan for my life. What in the world? And the revelation in that moment was this. Kids change you. I mean, kids just change you. I mean, it was it was crazy. And the revelation that we come to, to in today's text is not who had Jesus become. The, the revelation is who he was, who he is, who he forever will be, and the revealed path that he chose to come on, the path that he chose to take, the road less traveled. When I think about that picture of Jesus and who he is, was, forever, will be, I I thought about a quote that I once heard. It was an anonymous quote, but I'm going to show you on the screen. And it says this, as far as who he is and because he is who he is, in Christ we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that can never be exhausted. And brothers and sisters, today we have all of that and more in Jesus. And more. And in John 12, we enter the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Let me just remind us, there are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. So close to half of the Gospel of John deal with the final week of Jesus' life. If you were to look at the Gospel of Matthew, two-fifths of Matthew deal with the final week of Jesus' life. Three-fifths of Mark are devoted to that week. One-third of the Gospel of John is devoted to that final week. And that just shows us the importance that the Gospel writers placed on the final week of the life of Jesus, what we call Passion Week. I've said this before, but in the four Gospels combined, there are 89 total chapters. Now, of those 89 chapters, only four chapters deal with the first 30 years of his life. 85 chapters cover the last three years of his life, and 29 of those um, 85 chapters cover the last week of his life. So 29% of the Gospels cover the final week of Jesus' life, meaning it's pretty important. What happens is pretty important. In fact, we're going to spend probably the next 15 or so weeks in this. So we begin this Passion Week with an event that's mentioned in all four Gospels. An event known as Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, palm branches um, laid down, people shouting Hosanna as we just sang. And for Jerusalem, this was a week that they celebrated Passover. Now if you remember in Um, The Jewish world that Jesus grew up in, there were three major holidays that men 20 years and older were required to go to Jerusalem for. We have kind of dealt with this before, but Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles that we just kind of got got done with a a few chapters before, and then Passover. And in those moments, people would have traveled to the city of Jerusalem, and the population of Jerusalem would have increased from a, a few hundred thousand to a few million. And so the atmosphere would have been like probably the atmosphere of a city that the Super Bowl is in or the World Cup is in and just, just chaos and people everywhere. So Jerusalem is a happening place on this Sunday. And it's in this context that Jesus decides to go for a donkey ride. Jesus decides he wants to take a donkey ride. He doesn't want to go on a preaching tour. He doesn't want to go on a healing expedition. He doesn't want to um, go casting out demons or healing the sick. He wants to ride a donkey. But what comes next shows us the unique path that Jesus walked. So I want to dive in together. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 12, 12 through 26 together. And it says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this, your word. God, we ask that you speak, showing us, Jesus, the the road that you traveled, but also, Lord, in a sense, the world that you call us to travel. We just pray that you would show us wonderful things from your word. Speak, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So for just a moment or two, I want us to kind of take our attention away from Jesus and what's happening, and I want us to, for a moment or two, put our attention upon this donkey of all things. So there there have been... Other donkeys with important roles mentioned in Scripture. We have, of course, Balaam's donkey that talked and warned Balaam of danger. And Balaam, of course, responded by beating his donkey. And, of course, as a kid, anytime I read that passage in the King James Version, I got in trouble because I laughed a whole lot. Um, we also know that the, the, about the donkey that carried Mary and the unborn Christ to Bethlehem. And later that donkey carried them to Israel. Egypt, and now this Palm Sunday, a donkey waited to be untied so that Jesus could ride this donkey into Jerusalem. Let me just say for the record, this is the luckiest donkey in the world, to have the Son of God on its back while fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament that pointed to this very moment. And I did a little, the the time I did have this week, I did a little um, donkey research and found some interesting donkey discoveries about these creatures, so you're welcome. And here's a few things I found. Number one, most donkeys live to be between 30 and 40 years of of age, and some live to be even up to 60 years. Um, Second, a donkey's favorite pastime is actually not eating. I thought it might be, but it's actually... um, Rolling around in the dirt and the mud its what they enjoy doing. Um, Donkeys have long ears, as we know, but the question is, why? Do we know why donkeys have long ears? Donkeys have long ears, number one, to keep them cool. So the longer ears are like donkey radiators. Um, They keep their entire body cool, but also donkeys have long ears that help them to hear, get this up to 60 miles away. I didn't believe it either but it is true. They can hear other donkeys from up up to 60 miles away. Then the most bizarre fact I discovered came from the London Times where they reported that more people are killed annually by donkeys than in airplane crashes. So whatever you do don't ride a donkey. Just the facts. Just stating facts is here to help you out. But here's, here's the reality of what we come to today. Jesus entered Jerusalem at the time of the Passover riding a donkey because he came to present himself as the king. Yet, he came riding on a donkey, but he would be killed as a lamb. Everyone expected Jesus to come and to liberate Israel from the Roman rule and from oppression. Everyone expected Jesus to... Free Israel from the bondage they were in. Everyone expected Jesus to use his power, maybe even wield a sword and give them freedom. Everyone expected a Messiah who would meet their expectations. But Let me say this. Jesus is not the Messiah we expect. He's the Messiah we need. Let me say it again. He's not the Messiah we expect. He's the Messiah we need. Jesus came to fall on the sword, not bear the sword. He came to give up his life. He came to liberate the fallen world that we are in from the foreign rule of sin and death, thereby giving us true, lasting, eternal peace with God. Peace with God that lasts forever. So I want to lay before us this morning three parts of this road less traveled, showing the path that Jesus would take For us, The first is this, Jesus traveled the road of humility. He traveled the road of humility. In verse 12, we read, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And then verses 14 and 15, Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So Jesus once again drew a crowd to him. And the more people that crowded around around him, the the more opinions there were of him. Let's be honest. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Do you remember in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus and his disciples entered Caesarea Philippi? And Jesus asked his disciples, who do everyone say that I am? And the disciples began to tell him very clearly because, of course, the opinions were out there. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Those were all opinions about who Jesus was. John, in, in this gospel, shares a few more opinions that people had. In, in John 9, for example, some were saying that Jesus wasn't from God because he did not observe or keep the Sabbath. Can you imagine saying that, that God wasn't from God? That's what they were saying. In John 10, another group said that he had a demon and was mad. Now, let me ask you a question. Of all these opinions that I just rattled off, were any of them accurate? I mean, not really. The closest was that he was a prophet, but we know that he was much more than that. Much more than a prophet. So there was a myriad of opinions surrounding him. But notice what John does here. He twice quotes scripture from the Old Testament. The first time he quotes Psalm 118. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, the people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it goes on to say he's the king. Blessed is he, Hosanna. In the Old Testament, the word Hosanna meant save us, please. Save us, please. Please save us. But in the New Testament, Hosanna became known to to mean salvation has come. Salvation has come or salvation is here. So it's no longer please save us. It's salvation is here for us. Salvation has come to us. Salvation is here. Oh, to God that we know that. And then John quotes from Zechariah 9, 9, where it says, Fear not, a daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So whatever opinion people had of Jesus, here's what Scripture says about him. And here's why I'm bringing this up. The reason I'm bringing this up is because who Scripture says that Jesus is is more reliable than who you think he is. Let me say it again. Who Scripture says he is is more reliable than who you think he is. God's revelation is way more reliable than any person's estimation of Jesus. And here's what scripture tells us. There is a king, he is coming, and when he comes, he'll be riding a donkey. Therefore, Jesus asked for a donkey because he wanted to present himself to the people as the king. By the way, the... Kings often rode donkeys in times of peace. When a king was going to issue a peace treaty, the king would ride a donkey. It was considered an animal of peace. Now, when a, when a king would wage war, he would ride a war horse. Now, some of you maybe in your minds right now are going, well, I love that Jesus riding a, a animal of peace. He's just so peaceful. But understand this. Also read Revelation 19 because when he comes again, and he is coming again, he will be riding a war horse, and he will be declaring war on anyone who will not believe and bow the knee to him. And he will be coming in that way. When political figures, when political figures would enter into Jerusalem, they would do so in a calculated manner in a choreographed manner, meaning their entrance would be announced by trumpets. They would send soldiers in front of them in full military regalia. Um, Finally, they would enter either on the the most amazing stallion or on a gleaming golden chariot pulled by the most magnificent horses. But with Jesus, there were no soldiers, there were no trumpets, there were no uh, mighty horses and chariots. Instead, he chose a donkey. Why? To show his humility. That salvation that he would come to secure would be secured through meekness. He doesn't come to destroy other nations. He comes to proclaim peace to all nations. It's the picture of his coming. Augustine, or or. Augustine, however you want to say it, the 5th century church father, comments on the significance of Jesus' coming at the triumphal entry this way. And it's a little long, but just follow with me. The master of humility is Christ, who humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Thus, he does not lose his divinity when he teaches us humility. What Great thing was it to the king of the ages to become the king of humanity. For Christ was not the king of Israel so that he could exact attacks or equip an army with weaponry and visibly vanquish an enemy. He was the king of Israel in that he rules minds and that he gives counsel for eternity and that he leads into the kingdom of heaven for those who believe, hope, and love him. It is a condescension, not an advancement, for one who is the Son of God, equal to the Father, the Word through whom all things were made, to become King of Israel. And then here, hear what he says. It is an indication of pity, not an increase in power. When Jesus came, he did not increase in power. It was a picture of pity that he had on us. He pitied us because of the fallen sinful condition we were in so therefore in humility he came to us and for us what humility what humility then secondly Jesus traveled the road to glory he traveled the road to glory we read in verse 20 now among those were some Greeks and so these came to Philip now we don't know why other than the fact that Philip was a Greek name. So they came to Philip, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And so what does Philip do? It says Philip went and told Andrew. Now, why? Why why wouldn't Philip just go, Well, come on, I'll take you to Jesus. Why would Philip go to Andrew? And here's what we know. Every time Andrew appears in, in the Gospels, what's Andrew doing? He's always bringing someone to Jesus. Every time the Gospels, Andrew appears, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He's bringing his brother to Jesus in John 1. And he brings the boy with a lunch to Jesus for the miracle. Here, he, along with Philip, brings these Greeks to Jesus. And it says, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's fascinating that at the beginning of Jesus' life, wise men from the east come looking for Jesus. It's also significant that toward the end of Jesus' life on earth, wise men from the west now come looking for him. It's almost as if they book in his entire life. And, and their request was, don't miss it, we wish to see Jesus. In the earlier days of of England and early, early days of America, many pulpits would have this phrase from this verse basically engraved in every pulpit, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And it was a reminder for every pastor that entered every pulpit with those words on them, that we are to always and only Give people Jesus. Always and only. Meaning this, people aren't starving for more of my opinions. So therefore, I don't give people my opinions. People aren't starving for, they are starving for what they want to hear, but I don't give them what they want to hear. I don't give them fluff. I don't give anything short of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And you would expect Jesus to say, sure, come on, bring them in, bring them right to me. That's why I came, not just for Israel, I came for them as well. But that's not what he says. Now, what we do know is this. I'm sure Jesus welcomed them because there is no picture in all of Scripture where any person came to Jesus seeking him wholeheartedly that Jesus ever turned them away. But here in this moment, John records that Jesus says something quite different. In this moment, Jesus begins to talk about his glory, his hour, meaning he begins to talk about the cross. And think about this, it's at this moment that we need to understand what his hour was and what his hour was was for and first, you know, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus' hour always referred to his hour of death. It's mentioned ten times in the Gospel of John that way, that Jesus' his hour was his death. Yet up to this time, any time that we see this picture when it says his hour, we are told his hour had not yet come. Every time his hour had not yet come, not yet come, not yet come. But now when the Gentile world begins to hear, begins to see, and begins to believe, Jesus said that his hour of death has now come. Why? Well, that leads us to the four. Because Jesus did not just come to lay down his life for the Jews. He came to lay down his life for the world. And so the second the world begins to pay attention, the world begins to believe and see, Jesus says, my hour has now come. The purpose of the cross was the salvation of the world, which was also for the glory of God. You understand we are saved, brothers and sisters, by the grace of God or by grace alone, excuse me, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. If you think your salvation is going to bring glory to you, you are missing the point of your salvation. Your salvation, God saved you for his glory. For his glory in the world of saving sinners, of which we are those. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, the beauty of that salvation. All for the glory of God. And just remember, most kings would enter into their, their cities in the midst of their parades and they would go to their castles and they would sit on their thrones and they would make decisions that best affected them. Meaning they would think mostly about themselves. Jesus instead enters his city and instead takes his place on a cross because he was thinking about us. Thinking about us. Yet through the cross came a crown. Which leads us to number three. Jesus traveled the road of agony. He traveled the road of, of agony. And follow with me here. Look at verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So think of it this way. You have in your hand, so in your hand you have a kernel of grain. A kernel of grain in your hand, a grain of wheat is there. It's in your hand. It can't do any good at all in your hand. You don't really see or realize its potential in your hand. But during the planting season, you put that seed From your hand into the dark earth, a tomb, so to speak. And there it sits in the tomb of the earth. And as nature takes its course, it all of a sudden begins to receive moisture. It begins to rot and then decay. And the encasement cracks and opens. And eventually from death, there is a resurrection and there is a plant. And that plant brings forth much fruit. I read one source this week that said a good seed of grain contains the potential of a million similar offspring. A good seed of grain, a million similar offspring. Offspring, it's easy to see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. And as a result of my death and my resurrection, millions of people all over the world are going to be saved. To which we better say amen because that includes us. That's the only reason we have the gospel. That's the only reason we have salvation. It's the only reason we have hope. And don't miss it here. Here we have the Greeks pursuing, saying, we want to see Jesus, but what they don't understand is Jesus is pursuing them. He came pursuing them, and they didn't even know it. And then follow with me, because Jesus turns from his agony to ours, to our agony. And I want that, that word, that phrase, sit over us for a second, because what I'm about to say goes counterculture of everything that you have been taught your entire life. Everything you've been taught your entire life is this. Promote yourself, exalt yourself, make much of yourself, do as much to to, um, all you can do for you as you can do. It's all about you. And we live in this culture that tells us that every single day, if you don't promote yourself, no one else will. Promote yourself, exalt yourself, do all of those things. And yet Jesus comes and he says, whoever... Loves his life, loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. just kind of makes sense. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let me just say this. Think about what it would sound like if you could... Give a seed, draw a little mouth on a seed and let that seed talk. What it would sound like, you you put a mouth on it and it could express its feelings as you take that little seed away from all of his little seed friends. And then you plant him or take him and put him down in the stinky earth. And then you cover him over. If that seed could talk, that seed in that moment would say, I hate this. I don't like this. I don't want this. There's nothing about this that is good. That's what that seed would probably say. But we would say, just wait. Just wait, little seed. Just wait. Just wait till springtime because something wonderful is going to happen. Something is coming. And the picture that Jesus is saying is this. To bring life, there must be death. It's a principle and it's a paradox. Does the name George Mueller mean anything to to you? Does it kind of ring a bell? It should because I mention him often from this pulpit. He lived in the 1800s in England, and he had a heart for orphans all throughout England. So much so that he said, God, I'm going to give my life to invest in these orphans, and Lord, you're going to care for them because your word says you will. And I'm not going to ask for anything, God. I'm never going to ask for anyone for anything. I'm just going to ask you. And you're going to provide. And we are told in the 1800s, the Lord provided. He never asked for anything. He just prayed. And the Lord provided for the orphans in England over $7 million. As he just prayed and sought the Lord. And the Lord provided. But someone asked him one time, what is the secret to your success? And here's what he said. There was a day that I died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will. I died to the world and its approval and its scorn. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved to him. There was a day I died. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great German pastors who resisted Hitler, said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come to him and die. To come to him and and die. Now what does that mean? It means this. Christ has called us. Everyone who are his. Christ has called you to this. Christ says this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. And Let me just make this very clear. And I want you to hear this. Unless we do that. We will never really know him. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross every single day, which is my will for you. Whatever it is, take it up every day and follow me. And unless we do that, we will never really know him. This is the kind of king God has promised, a king who would lay down his life for us so that we could be rescued. He is a king that would take the punishment that we deserve so that we could receive the life we could never deserve. He is the kind of king who would come and live humbly and would die brutally. And even though we're responsible for his death, would still offer us the peace that his death brought with God. And because of his death, we are, brothers and sisters, able to have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And our greatest need for peace in this world is not, not peace from war or peace in relationships. It is peace with God. And I want to end this morning with the words from Pastor John Piper, who concludes kind of this whole section this way. He says this. So here is the concluding declaration and invitation. Jesus came the first time and he is coming again as the king over all kings, king of Israel, king of all the nations, king of nature and the universe. Until he comes again, there is a day of amnesty and forgiveness and patience. He still rides a donkey and not yet a war horse with a rod of iron. He is ready to save all who receive him as Savior and treasure and King. Therefore, come to him. Know him. Receive him. Live your life in allegiance to him. And brothers and sisters, let me say this. That, for us, is the road less traveled. That's not the road the world is traveling. In total allegiance, surrender to him. But that is our calling, that is our mandate, that is our way to him. We follow him. And here's the beautiful thing, if you have gotten off the road, he calls you back on the road. Our God is a God of second chances, praise him. Where would we be if not for his mercy and grace and his second chances in our lives? Wherever you are today, I know without a doubt that God is speaking. And I pray that God is calling you closer. I know God is calling you closer to him. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the praise team forward as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we just, in this moment, just stop. As we have just gone through this word and Jesus, Lord, this road less travel that you took, a road of humility that would lead to glory that also involved agony. And Lord, we just praise you that you are that kind of king, that kind of savior for us. Lord, you're so good and you are not the savior we would expect, but you are the savior we need. Lord, we thank you that you sent us the savior we needed. I pray for anyone in this room, anyone listening online that has never turned to you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of, Lord, not choosing their opinion over your word, but they would choose you. I also pray for brothers and sisters across this room and watching online, God, that you would help us all to all take steps forward in our faith today and following you. In today's saying that we want to determine, commit ourselves afresh and anew to, to denying ourselves. Denying the things that we want, that we just think we have to have. Deny our flesh. To take up our cross daily, every day, Lord, to give ourselves to do your will. And to follow you. To follow you, Jesus. Jesus. Just finish this time in Jesus' name.